welcome to Upbringing, where Hannah and Kelty, twins, mothers, and works in progress. Upbringing is a movement that empowers us all to engage bravely with the hardest aspects of parenting, to create positive change in ourselves, our families, and the world. Join us to build intention, elevate skills, and align our parenting practices with our greatest ideals. When we practice trust over fear, connection over control, and progress over perfection, we're not just raising our kids, we're raising ourselves. Let's show up and grow up. Today's episode is supported by Daughter of the Land, a skincare line defined by simplicity, authenticity, and purpose. Founder Ashley Spear has created meaningful products using clean, organic, fair trade ingredients and created with sustainability in mind. We're also kind of label snobs, and Daughter <laughs> of the Land is so damn beautiful. Yes. Learn more about Daughter of the Land and support upbringing by visiting today's show notes or our partners page at upbringing.co. Now on to our conversation. Today on the podcast, we speak with Alon Holt, acclaimed poet, playwright, and professor. Alon is mother to five-year-old daughter Indigo and interim executive director for Stanford's Institute for Diversity in the Arts, where she trains undergrads in art practice, art leadership, and social justice. Alon published her first book of poems, Moonwork, in 2016, and her plays and performances have been presented around the U.S. and internationally as far as Uganda. Alan wrote and directed Enamorada in 2017, which was acquired by Issa Rae and won special jury prize for Best First Time Filmmaker at San Francisco's Black Film Festival. We loved connecting with Alan about parenting as a form of self-actualization, ways to transform curses into cures, how to rid the shame from being in service to ourselves with the added bonus of working to dismantle the patriarchy, and so much more. So don't miss out on our conversation after show, which is the next episode available now. We'll take some time to twin talk our favorite moments and find ways to apply what we learn from Alon to our parenting experience. Okay, here we go. We were just reminiscing today um, and wishing that you had been teaching at Stanford when we were going there. (laughs) It's like this, it's kind of like this weird cosmic regret, but we miss campus so much. And I feel like thinking about you there, especially with your daughter at times probably is our happy place. Cause we haven't brought, have we brought our daughters not since they were babies? Yeah, probably not since they were babies. So um, we wow. are curious to know what it's like being, being a post-grad there and having your daughter there too. Yeah. Um, it's, it's really beautiful to be able to just experience the campus with her. Um, she's like done the traditional things like fountain hopping, but also I joke when she's been to more lectures than a undergraduate <laughs> freshman. <laughs> <laughs> so it's really nice to kind of, you know, just experience her and have her experience different spaces. Um, and then also too, to be able to bring um, more of my full self to my work. Sorry. More my full self in my work. And um, and just, yeah, being able to kind of have a really nice balance between being a mom and, and being an administrator on the campus. That's so neat, too, that you're, you're not just bringing her back in this reminiscent sense where we bring our kids back and we're like, we remember this and we remember that. But like your present life is still there. And that's so cool that she's included in that, not in a retrospective way, but in an active like future way. Yeah, and she kind of gets to see what I do throughout the day. And again, yeah, it feels good to kind of be making new memories with her. Oh, just I'm thinking back, I just have a 10-year history with the, with the university. So it just mm-hmm. feels really, yeah, it's very special. It's very special. Well, that there's just a place that she can be like, this is where my mom works. This is where her students sit. It's just, it's so concrete. Mm-hmm. Like I think Roy, my daughter the other day was like, I was reading a book and she came over and she's like, are you reading about parenting again? And like gave, like did this little <laughs> like eye roll. <laughs> and because it's just like, you can't see parenting. You can't see what we do. We just kind of like abscond with laptops or just talking about it on power walks or just living it with them, which is just, it's invisible. And it's just, it's really cool that there is, there's a way for her to kind of connect with that. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Though I have to do things that she thinks most of our, my job is in front of a computer. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. But it's, but I hear what you're saying. It is, it's just really nice to, yeah, to be present with her in that way. Well, we'd love to learn more about what you actually do at the Stanford Institute for Diversity in the Arts because, well, we're trying to 
sort of develop language to convey these like really amorphous topics and approaches about parenting because it can be like really other to people. And then we learn that you teach and support interventions in art practice and spiritual practice and social change, which is equally ethereal to us and sounds amazing, but we just would love you to kind of describe what that looks like a little bit. Yeah. So I am the uh, interim director at IDA, which is the Institute for Diversity in the Arts. And we are mostly an undergraduate facing program. We support uh, students in uh, supporting social justice through art practice. So we're thinking not only about art as a means for creating things in the world, but really a means for shaping the type of world that we want uh, to see and experience and be a part of. Um, So that means that art can be a way that we can create more space for narratives of people of color, of queer folks, of women, transgender women and men, um, a way of opening up space that we're able to kind of combat the structural racism and isms that happen in the world and uh, transform that through um, activism and through art and through just the expression of more voices in a room or in... um, in a media space or really in any, any kind of sphere that we show up in. So we're doing that through classes, uh, doing that through bringing in different speakers and artists to give workshops and talks. And we're doing that through um, developing scholarship on the topic and also creating spaces where we're able to, to speak about these things at length and uh, with some intimacy across different communities. Wow. That sounds amazing. What's the, what are the most common majors for students? involved? Yeah. So uh, either folks that are interested in identity studies. So at Stanford, we have the Center for Comparative Studies and Race and Ethnicity. So folks are already thinking about questions of identity. And what we're able to do is, uh, is bring those questions of identity into the sphere of culture. So how we think about ourselves as being uh, shaped by the things that we see out in the world, whether passively or actively. Um, so We often think about politics as a space where um, a lot of change is happening, but we find that it's very few people who are participating in that sphere, whereas culture, all of us are always participating in that sphere. Mm -hmm. Everything from sending a text message or a tweet to um, building a play or building songs and and things that are bringing folks together in community. So... um, yeah, just thinking about and helping to uh, helping others to think about those things and bring some purpose to the things that we're putting out into the world. I think it's yeah, it reminds me just of the power of building awareness in the the things that you're doing that they're actually things. It's something mm-hmm. we talk about in parenting too. Like people are like, I don't have a parenting approach. And we're like, you do, you actually do. <laughs> you just not you haven't put words to that yet or mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And then that nothing that we do is neutral. Um, Mm -hmm. And everything that we do either uh, progresses justice or regresses it. And so, uh, yeah, it's just I think it's it's very important for all of us to uh, really step into that power and make just conscious decisions on everything we're doing, whether it's parenting or even the type of music that we're, that we're consuming in our household or in the car, or, you know, totally. kind of so everything is, everything, nothing is neutral. Everything mm-hmm. has, has weight and power. Um, well, yeah. And like you said that there's, there's power in that. And we talk a lot about empowered parenting where we're able to see that, you know, it's incredibly important to bring our kids to a rally and to explain them to them, you know, different things that are going on in the news that it's age appropriate and to read them certain books and, you know, a million different things. But something Kelty and I talk about a lot is how just our interactions with them are creating social change or limiting it, or, you know, it's, it's, it's the smallest things and realizing that is really scary, but it's also can be really, really empowering. Something we talk about a lot is just this kind of like metaphor of kind of reading your story as you're writing it, as Mm -hmm. just a metaphor for general awareness, like you're living your life, but be reading it as you go, be checking in, be be kind of present in what's actually happening. And you were actually doing that. You were actually writing every, you know, these beautiful moments and these hard moments as they were unfolding 
in such a real way. And I just love that. Thank you. Yeah. And the gift, I just want to reiterate, the gift is not the ease of which that writing was able to happen because it wasn't an easy writing process, as we talked about earlier. Um, But it was the opportunity to really, um, to really uh, record a moment that I could accurately reflect back on, on ways that if I hadn't written in ways that in which our memories don't always allow us Mm -hmm. that you know, when many years out, uh, but to be able to have a record in real time and, yeah. and for that to be a model for, for the way that art and life, you know, dance together, you know, well, I think it's really good. It's so much easier in a lot of ways to, to reflect back. Maybe you've had, it's because you've had time to process. Maybe it's just because it's less painful later to do it, but we are always talking about how, like, we, like, how can we, encourage ourselves and other people to do that processing in the moment because it's not always easy, but, but it is like doing constant legwork as you go, you know, in a really important way. Well, and then we, we don't necessarily, we can't write poetry about our lives as you are able to, which is amazing, but like we all have, we can find a way to examine yeah, and and process and, and leave something. I feel like you do that with photos, Kelty, like you take Kelty takes a photo a day, but then just documents everything. Mm. And I, I feel like that's the legacy, a, a legacy that you're leaving to not just to our family, but to yourself to be able to look back on those and to, you remember your life better when you took a photo I that do. day. You say that, right? Yeah. I mean, I have all of these memories that you and our husbands don't because I just remember the intentional moment of documenting it. Mm. I don't even have to look at the pictures this the same way, you know? Yeah. Mm. And I think that that uh, even the allowing ourselves to document just reinforces that our stories are worth remembering and worth mm-hmm. being present to, um, and that we are are worth that too. Um, and I think that yeah, I think that's very. It's been very special for me to be a part of that. I imagine it will be so special for Indigo too to have that to read on and to you know something tangible to not just remember you by like, you know, an, a beautiful old sweater or you know, something or even a photo, but just something to actually know and understand you by and to maybe understand herself through oh, deep. someday. <laughs> Deeply. Yeah. I don't know. We think, I, we think about it something that you think about when you're oh, working. And- oh yeah. I mean, at the time I, not so much, but at, in, in the immediate moments afterwards, I was like, oh, this is the, I mean, the gifts just keep on giving, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like, not only am I like coming alive in, in this work, but I'm also able to, I think, give the most accurate representation of, of like, yeah, this is, this is how you came into the world. And this is the love that, that brought you here. And these are the complex, you know, the complexities of that. And, and this is like the woman I became because of you and because of your presence in my life um, at this moment uh, that felt so, you know, both terrifying, but also like the most divine experience that I've ever still to this day have, have Mm -hmm. gone through. Um, and so, yeah, and I wouldn't want to rely on my own memory to be able to give that. <laughs> when I think we tend to get so so literal too with the stories that we tell our children, because that's just how we're how our brains work or what our culture kind of does. But you know, first we lived here, and then you were born here, and the hospital, my labor lasted this many hours. Like, mm-hmm. it's really interesting what not just what the kid what kids remember, but also what we decide to tell them. Wow, <laughs> and I think that can that it not be that boring mean, shit all the time. <laughs> That's the thing, what we decide to tell them, right? Mm. Um, and I think, you know, that goes back to the larger work of uh, the power of the story, you know? It's like the person who holds the story or is telling the story really shapes really shapes that narrative and, and what's able to, to live within it and what is excluded and what's kept. And so uh, in retrospect, I probably would have, edit, like, would have been a very huge self-editor Um, but I think in real time, I, I didn't know any better. And so I allowed myself to be very transparent, um, in ways that I don't, you know, in ways that I couldn't, I don't know that I could always count on in the future for future me. (laughs) Um, but yeah, that's, I think that's the beauty of it to to be open in that way. You became a mother at 23, which some, you know, these days I feel like some would consider that on the younger side, whatever that means. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I feel like back in the day, the rhetoric used to be like, oh, my career will suffer. You know, I can be an artist or I can be a mother. Like, I feel like even our mom, like our, our mom's generation felt that. She felt that pressure a lot. She, she was like 24 when she had us. I she think. was the same age. Yeah. yeah um, or around that age. Um, she was a painter and wow. singer and um, quite a few things. But we, I definitely feel like we got that impression that it was kind of like one or the other. And now we hear a lot of like, I can be an artist and a mother. I can juggle. I can manage and prioritize both. But I feel like something that Kelty and I keep circling back to is why is this conversation not about, you know, how we be- can become more whole and more powerful and more aware creatives or even people as a result of becoming parents, you know, not despite it, but, you know, not like a divided self, but it's actually a more united one adding in another person to our lives. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, I, I, I think a lot of it is because it evokes this relationship of imbalance Um, and not necessarily between like mother and child, but even between like the co-parents involved, uh, with raising a child. Um, I feel like we're still at a moment where, um, we don't ask as much of, of the men in our lives in terms of the, the cultural conversation around parenting. And so Mm -hmm. a lot of those, uh, unconscious responsibilities and pressures do, I think, um, unjustly fall on women. And so we often are expected to give to a deficit, not only to our children um, and to our, um, into our careers and into our partnerships. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that actually becomes a patriarchal strategy for keeping us from being able to entertain narratives of fullness um, mm. because uh, patriarchy very much is, is dependent on um, our depletion as a way of continuing the thing, way that things are continuing the way that things are. So I think that, to in- I think a fullness narrative really does complicate and, and uh, starts to disintegrate actually larger questions of of the role of women in this world um and especially the role of women outside of uh the very strict confines of what women are allowed to be uh, even in this contemporary moment does that make sense yeah absolutely <laughs> waxing, you know but i i really do i think it's i think that's why it's so hard for us to see having a child as um, a continuation of our fullness because there are so many things that push us to um, to to never even live in that space or let alone like get to that space long enough for it to become a reality. I, I, I read about it a lot. Just, you know, you know, the mother load, the, I can't remember all the kind of the phrases that they use to talk about the, the, you know, burden of so many things that just do not rest on men's shoulders. And this has been, you know, for years and years and years, and I I feel like it's getting better, but um, I think you're right. It's still, it is still there so much. Um, How do we work against that? How do you see us working against, like, you know, resisting the patriarchy, like literally though, like in how we're raising our kids and how we're working in the world and, and parenting in the world? Yeah. I mean, I think the first thing is that we really have to be, and that comes back to what I was talking about earlier, but really committed to our own decolonization, our own recognition of the common kind of trappings of feminine power, Um, being able to, I mean, I think that's even showing up in our, in the, the ways that we're choosing to give to ourselves and more than we know, than we... Can you give an example? Yeah. I mean, I wanted to give the example of like, this just the self-care movement, but I think that that is actually very loaded in ways that I didn't mm-hmm. quite want to get to. Mm-hmm. Um, but even in, in this, I mean, I, but I think that something embedded in that is the, is taking shame away from serving, being in service to ourselves, Right. I think mm-hmm. that a way, the way, one of the quickest ways that we can begin to uh, quote dismantle patriarchy, uh, so to speak, is really to be, is to choose to be in service to ourselves, um, to choose to 
um, give ourselves the things that we so willingly give to away to others for free. Um, whether that's like our time, um, our, our rest, our, our creativity, our solitude, our peace, you know, it's, it's, it's those things that we're so quick to, to give away, but to really be in service of ourselves as women, um, allows us to see way more clearly the ways that we are always giving that up unconsciously to others. Um, And so I I think that as a, as a, as a very small, but powerful redirect is, can be helpful. I think about too, the emotional kind of, Oh gosh, the emotional labor. (laughs) Yeah. Of of that, but of even just, not, not just our time, not just our creativity, not just so much of our brain space and who we are, but just our emotions of being able to just get really fucking mad and not feel like we're going to get in trouble or not feel like we're going to disappoint somebody. And Kelty and I like to talk about this a lot because we think it is so important in our parenting to let our kids be really fucking mad and to be really worked up about shit. And that's theirs to own. And it's not always about what everybody else thinks or about making other people happy. And I think it's a really difficult thing with kids because there's this fear that we hear from a lot of people that like, they're going to turn into assholes. They're going to turn into selfish, you know, women, they're going to turn into whatever. And we're like, no, like you have to trust that that is what is one of the most important things for them to possess, to treat themselves in the world better. Does that make sense? To, to celebrate the right to disagree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and to be in touch with their feelings in that way. Yeah. I, yeah, I think what you're talking about is, yeah, it's just the importance of just expressing yourself. Yeah. <laughs> I think that is one of the first ways that we are taught to, I mean, to be self-deceptive is to mm-hmm. uh, bandage up very real expression and package it so that it, it feels better when it lands on others. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I hear that. And I would just, and, and yes, anger and rage and like the fullness, but like, yeah, just the fullness of expression. And that is not a, a thing to be ashamed about expressing yourself. Hmm. Yeah. How, how, um, how are you raising Indigo differently or similarly to the way you were raised? Yeah, I I think as a as a guardian, my job is to make sure that she has what she needs and is safe. You know, that she's safe, sane, and that the experiences she's she's um, what she's experiencing is consensual. Um, but then I think as a mother, my job is really to to listen and to respond and to grow into the type of person that she needs me to be. So, for example, that means like being a lot more present with her. Um, I have, I kind of like work, you know, not work three jobs, but I kind of like I'm managing three big areas of my life. And so uh, it's really easy to be very busy all the time. Um, and, in, and in my mind and what I've learned from my, my family growing up is like that is the main thing that you can give to a child, which is to provide for them and to make sure that they have like the material things that they need. Um, but I think Indigo has really uh, pushed me to uh, try to provide more of the spiritual landscape of what she needs. And a lot of that is is um is closeness and is presence um and isn't always all the material things that I think I you know sometimes grew up with Mm -hmm. so it's like we do things like we still co-sleep together um and I think that that's been really supportive of her um especially as like in the early part of her life we just moved around a lot so to be able to show via my closeness my um, consistency and I will be there for her, um, mm-hmm. I think is, is something that, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about, I mean, that, that's something that just came to my mind right now, but I think that that kind of articulates what I mean mm-hmm. by presence. Um, so trying to give her, give her presence versus presence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're almost near Christmas, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, uh, but really to be, uh, to really, yeah, be very mindful of that. Um, and just to be there. Yeah. 
feel like being a new mom and we feel like new mom is like what the first 10 years. I don't don't know. know. (laughs) When are you not a new mom? I don't know. I know. I still feel new, but we, we saw a beautiful photo shoot maybe on mother mag mother somewhere of your home and saw that, um, you live with other people. Um, and we're just, we're wondering what it's like raising Indigo within a broader house community, um, you know, where she's able to get that closeness with you, but how does it work with her other relationships um, in that space? And how does that feel for you? Who's a very busy person. Are you able to feel like, well, she has other people here. Like we I definitely feel that way when I'm able to send my kids over to Kelty's house across the farm and to know I may not be able to give them a moment of my time right this minute, but I know that they're getting it from somebody who cares about them. Yeah, I do. I live in community and it's been the biggest gift um, I think I could have ever hoped for, asked for. For a moment, we did live just the two of us, Indigo and I. And I, I would, she would just like look at me and be like, oh, it's just you. <laughs> it's just you again. <laughs> and I think, you know, I think uh, being able to live in community just gives her a lot um, gives her more models to, to see as possibilities for herself. It gives her more outlets to express herself. Um, I think she f- loves to feel the fullness of a home and a house. And I don't think that I'm, you know, want to have, even, you know, maybe another child, but I don't think that I'm like the big family having person. And so to be able to live in community makes it feel like we have, I mean, we do, we have a full house and, and it feels like that kind of big family vibe um, mm-hmm. in this kind of non-traditional um, and and kind of uncommon way. And it's been huge because it allows me to kind of do that work that I was talking about earlier of of being able to to be in service to myself in ways that if I lived more isolated in a you know more traditional, just like myself and Indigo, or like a you know even a three person unit situation. Um, I wouldn't be able to do that because so much of everything would be falling on me. And so to be able to open that up, um, has allowed me to, to be able to not be always giving from a place of a deficit, but from, to be giving from a place of community and fullness and a lot of folks, which is abundance, you know, (laughs) it's it's like, gives me that, that big family vibe, uh, even even though we live actually pretty, you know, we live not in the same places as my family. I love that. I, I told Alex, my partner recently, I was like, I just feel like all we do is alternate with the kids where I'm with them and he's working or he's with them and I'm working. And like, it just, I just, I miss being all together and this, we need to be doing this more often. And and I, I like the idea of them just with him too, but just that idea of a bigger family community. It's something we're trying to do on the farm more. Um, how do you work with that? You know, with, I don't know, Indigo can manage her relationship with your housemates in some ways, but also, you know, that's a lot of different personalities who have their own upbringings that they're, um, you know, kind of distilling. In, yeah, that's informing the way they have worked with her. And how have you kind of gone about you know, allowing her to have her own relationship with them, but also like, you know, wanting to feel some alignment in how she's being treated. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, the community is very intentional. So it's not, I mean, it's taken a, a many years to get it to this place. Uh, but we're at a place where we all are here because we all feel like we're in alignment with each other and, and also are committed to, um, to growing with each other and, and being, you know, better people, better and better people and figuring out the tools and implementing the tools to do that. And so I feel like uh, that on a basic level feels really like a a great foundation, but then also we just communicate a lot. So, um, you know, I I try to communicate uh, what types of things that I'm you know, that I'm trying to really, you know, support Indigo with and, and they communicate back to me the things that they're noticing and seeing. And, mm-hmm. and we, yeah, we just talk. Um, and we recognize, and Indigo is actually the only kid, the only young person in the house. So uh, we really, I think do, it, it forces us all to kind of grow up in a way that mm-hmm. um, has been really beautiful. And I, and I, and the, the biggest gift really was just, you know, my, my uh, community asking what I needed. Uh, 
and, and kind of being responsive to that. So letting me lead in that way. Um, That's amazing. And of course it changes like who we bring to the house and like, you know, who, like what kind of, you know, activities we do there. And like, you know, so I, I think we've really oriented towards this, you know, towards Indigo as, as kind of like, you know, the community child that we, that needs protecting and needs support. And it's been nice to see folks come on board with that and to find myself in a community that's so open to that. She's just so incredibly lucky. Oh my gosh. It's amazing. You know, um, when you were talking about how you guys are all growing up along with her and I, that had been the, the th- kind of the thread of where I was going by saying when you, you had her when you were 23, which is kind of a younger age, mm-hmm. you know, that our mom was that age. But the, the point that I kind of like lost, I lost the thread was that, you know, moms in our thirties were, you know, 36, we're still growing up as well. And I mean, we've, we're starting to realize that growing up is not about age. And I think our culture just talks so much about age and growing up related to that, but it's more about, about readiness, about self-awareness. Um, yeah. I don't know where I was going with that. And kind of, yeah. And saying yes to the call <laughs> in some mm-hmm. ways. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like, you know, I, I, like becoming pregnant with Indigo and then, and then ultimately choosing to have her, it was like a call and then, uh, and then, you know, and then a call that needed a response, you know, in some way. And, um, cause I don't believe that any of us are ever quite ready for all that any of our big life, you know, callings require of us to become. Uh, but I think, being able to just make a clear choice and to follow through with that choice. I don't think that's spoken about that much though, that I think we just assume that everybody who's had a child, it was, they were a hundred percent behind it, a hundred percent intending for it. It's just, and then when it happens to you and you think, I'm not sure how I feel about this. I'm not sure what I want to do about this there. I just don't feel like there's a, a wealth of support and just kind of a, a social narrative about that, that you can connect to for support. Yeah. I, I mean, I definitely, I, having, like I said, 23 in our modern, t- modern time is young. It was like right after college. I was, you know, um, not married, still not married. So I, there, there was like these kind of com- compounding uh, narratives that were being placed there. Mm-hmm. But I think that, you know, sometimes, uh, solitude and being pushed into that place of solitude where it's like, yeah, it really, it is just kind of you in this moment and you have to make the decision. I think that Mm -hmm. is like so much a part of the initiation or like maturation process, you know? Um, And there are not that many, I mean, there are some things, but you know, the things that really push us to like into solitude and solitude, not as a bad space, but as a place of, of, um, true reckoning with oneself and no, and there's like no escapes. It's just like you, <laughs> you can't take a poll. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah. You know? um, and you have to make a decision. And then you realize like, Whoa, like I maybe have lived my life without ever actually having to make a decision. And this, mm-hmm. like this, you know, you know, pregnancy, cons, cons, uh, um, this, uh, conceiving in this way is now making, you know, I'm actually now stepping into my life in ways that I never have really been pushed into before. And I think that's part of what makes motherhood. So, I mean, such a, again, self affirm, self affirmation, kind of like um, self actualizing process. Yeah. I think it's, it's such an opportunity to become more intentional when even if you choose to, to start a family, sometimes it's, it doesn't feel intentional. And I think that's something we talk about is just when we became mothers, that's when we really started looking forward and realizing what the things we were choosing and why. And, Mm. and I feel like the, the home you've set up for the two of you is full of chosen family in this amazing way. And you talked about how everyone was kind of became part of that because you were also connected and aligned. And I feel like most people's experience as they're raising a kid is really can be heavily informed by their not chosen family and um, just all of their feelings and experiences and those things weighing in. And I just love that you guys have chosen 
or, you know, have come in alignment with these wonderful people to all grow up together and build such a beautiful community for her and for yourselves ultimately. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, it's been a blessing. <laughs> I mean, there's no, there's no, no other way to say it. Like I would, I, that would be my biggest advice to all mothers, but <laughs> especially young mothers is to, to, you know, cause I remember when I first, you know, when I was with uh, Indigo's dad and we were first, you know, pregnant and like, I was like, I want to move out of my community and I want to move in with you. You know, I wanted to like, because that was what I was told was, the way family worked, you know, it was like this very nuclear, individualized, compartmentalized space. And, um, and I quickly realized that that was not only not working for me, I was not very happy, but it wasn't ultimately, I would learn wouldn't work for Indigo because she's just comes alive with community. And, um, and not only do I, you know, I, I, not only are there like very tangible benefits for me, but, but also I'm just able to do so much more, both on an economic level, you know, just like cost of living in the Bay Area, of course, um, but also, um, yeah, on a, on a just energetic level. Like I just have so much more to offer than if I was just makes me on myself. Yeah, it makes me wonder why this isn't happening more. Maybe we're just not tapped into it, but we, I hear so many people just saying, I really want to just, I want to create a compound of my favorite people and be living. And, you know, the, we talk, people talk about what we're doing on the farm and it's kind of, it's, we're beta testing something, you know, just familial, but we love the idea of broadening it um, with time. But I wonder if it's, I don't know. I think sometimes people think, well, group living, like it's going to be like my freshman year in college, which to some people was wonderful, but to other people, it was like a nightmare. Mm -hmm. And I don't think people think that, well, it's your chosen community. It's not just people that you don't know or don't have a connection with or are able to create a connection with. It's a completely different thing. Yeah. Um, And it's just, Um, it's really inspiring. It's cleaner. (laughs) 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 Yeah. I remember, uh, because I did, I lived in co-ops, you know, I mean, I lived Mm -hmm. in co-ops as a younger person and co-ops as in like cooperative communities, um, houses. Which co-ops did you live in? um, Well, at Stanford, I lived in Terra, which is Mm -hmm. a queer themed co-op. But I, um, but I was always just very, like very comfortable with cooking and cleaning communally and kind of making big house decisions communally and taking roles and responsibilities to make the thing work. So it wasn't a huge uh, shift for me, but why, um, why was that? Did you grow up with a lot of siblings mm-hmm. or in a community? Uh, not, no, it just, it was just an alternative. I don't know. I just kind of like mm-hmm. always, uh, I, I kind of tend towards the alternative. <laughs> so like if the main, if the main thing was like, you know, dorms with big dining halls that you would get your, you know, get your food from the alternative was, you know, smaller, uh, DIY, you know, all cook for yourself kind of situation off in the corner of campus, you know? So I decided hey, you're just cool. You've just always been cool. essentially. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. Um, but yeah, just like I, and I get to, um, and ultimately I think that's what I'm most interested in with my work is like, okay, what are pulling out the alternatives? Um, and so I think that that expresses itself in like the subject matter of my work. So like, you know, how do you transform a story about someone else um, into a a story about the discovery of yourself to like, you know, how can you open up the way that, you know, being a mother or having a family or, you know, being in a community or not can be for yourself, you know? And so... Mm -hmm. It's been good. I, I, I would recommend, that's like my biggest recommendation for anybody who's, <laughs> you know, um, for anybody really, uh, but for, especially for young mothers. We, we know that a lot of our listeners are creative souls and working and experimenting and struggling to find like their one path or craft. And what we love about your work and your journey is that it's not a single discipline. Your path seems to be speaking your truth and your history and your heart and your future all at once. And we're just wondering how you kind of navigate that balance between a clear decision to work something specific, like one at a time versus being called by curiosity, passion, growth, the universe, you know, whatever it is 
do you have more advice you could give people who may be sort of limited instead of liberated by that open-endedness in their creativity? Yeah. Um, well, everything for me starts at a place of poetry. And then from there, it kind of moves into different, whatever genre it needs to be. And I, I try to be um, just as open as I can to wherever it leads. Um, so sometimes they can be, they can stay as poems. Sometimes they can become plays for the stage, sometimes films. Um, and just to be, just, yeah, just to, to, to recognize that all of it is just play and all of it at the end of the day is just poems and those poems uh, can dance in whatever way that they need to dance um, and, and become alive in whatever way they need to become alive. Um, so I think just uh, there's two ways that you can a- approach your creativity. And one is from kind of like a top down approach, which is I work in this genre. I need things to come out in this way. I do comedy. I don't do drama. Like, you know, to really push, um, to push uh, parameters onto the work that you do. Um, but then there's this other opportunity to come from the bottom up, which is to say that I am here, I am uh, arriving and making myself available to whatever work needs to come through me. Um, and that I think that, you know, that's for me, even saying that feels like a metaphor for motherhood. <laughs> like, you know, the difference between saying like, I need to birth this thing versus like, okay, this thing is coming. This thing has come to me, you know, um, and now has to come through me. And my job really is to be present to that, to try to make my, you know, to try to um, create the healthiest environment for that, um, both within my body and then within my larger environment. Um, and, and to let, let it come how it comes, you know, let it be what it wants to be in the world. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, and yeah, just the understanding that shift for me was really huge. Uh, And and then also too, like taking away some of the pressures that we often put to our creativity, Um, especially if you're trying to be a professional artist, like the monetary, uh, the, the, you know, the push Mm -hmm. to monetize, I think can be an unnecessary uh, burden. Uh, I think sometimes deadlines can be productive, but also can be provide unnecessary burden. But I think it's just like, can you show up to your practice, you know, every day, and and just be present and do what it needs to be done in that moment. I think is the best. Mm-hmm. I feel like you know? that is. It's just that's beautiful advice. And I just Kelty and I always think of everything through a parenting lens, and it's like you can literally you can listen to that and gain so much about your work and your creativity. And then you can flip it and say, and this is exactly how I want to approach my time with my child. Like, you know, that it's this huge lesson in trust in yourself, in them, in the universe, your connection somehow, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, instead of fighting against things and trying to control, you know, that idea of having to let go somehow to be able to move forward. It seems really counterintuitive creatively and personally. Oh yeah, but it's <laughs> it's kind of the real work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Totally. Yeah, it's yeah, it's much more. Yeah, it's a different kind of difficult to to mm-hmm. let go and to let things happen. We were hoping that um, that you could read us something from Moonwork, since we don't have it in front of us right now. Would you be able to choose something? Yeah, um, this is a poem, a short poem. It's called Indigo Sun. Here we go. The night we discovered you, we poured a canteen of water over our heads. It did not let up for hours, just washed over us in this endless flow of emotion and wetness and the magic of it all, two humans awake. In the morning, I am still deciding if I will keep you with me for term, hair still dripping from the night before, the whole of you growing on the inside of my stomach, holding on easy to me like nothing even happened, just lovemaking, nothing even happened, just curiosity, just two kids trying to do right by God. And that was from July 31st, 2012. 
Thank you. Yeah. So that was like the conception night. Um, yeah. So things like, like that. I had like <laughs> voice rec- on recording reading the entire book. I know. How can we arrange uh, that? <laughs> I know. Like the, uh, the audio book. Yeah. <laughs> Hosted by Upbringing. Or just the YouTube sessions. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, I, it's, like I said, it's, it's, um, it's been a process that's been nice to return to and sometimes hard, difficult to return to. Um, but it's, I think for me, the process of writing allows me to work through things outside of my body, which I feel like is a lot healthier, um, to, to kind of have a container to put, my expression and my concern and my feelings and my, um, you know, just kind of my, the blueprints of, of how I was moving through the world at that time. Yeah. It's just been such a gift. Uh, and I, and I, yeah, I just, to, to, to not have to do that all within my body, you know, um, but to be able to, to work with the page and that supporting that process. We once heard that you say that you were interested in making love out of messy situations, and that spoke to us mm. so strongly. Um, so much of what you create seems to revolve around taking an incredibly hard and real situation and turning it upside down to expose a story of love. Is that just like your basic life view? <laughs> it's, like, it's fucking amazing. <laughs> Uh, I, yeah, I feel like I've just, I mean, I feel like that's like my basic life's calling. <laughs> yeah. I do feel like that's like the underpinning of, of my work. Um, because I mean, I, be, I began, I began definitely, uh, my art practice through, um, I began to write because I was experiencing a lot of loss. Uh, I began in like when I was around 10, um, and the loss of my grandmother who, who raised me. Um, and onward from there. And so the writing began, became very tied to these kind of moments of, of, of loss and sometimes of trauma. And for me, it was never enough to just like bleed on the page or to, you know, or to just express those moments um, of trauma without also kind of providing a way out or a way through or, um, the other side of that, or, you know what I mean? To, to provide something more than that. So I just, from a very young age, made a commitment to myself that, um, I wouldn't just stop with what hurt, but I would work with what hurt long enough to figure out what other usefulness was there besides just the initial pain. Um, because yeah. I, I really trusted that there was usefulness in all of these experiences. I just had to work poetically to figure those things out. Um, yeah. And so, especially as a, as a black woman, as a person of color, um, it, you know, it can become so sensationalized pain. Um, mm-hmm. um, and I wanted to live, I didn't want to just live there. Um, in fact, I didn't want to live there at all, but I wanted to, to visit and to be intimate with that place uh, long enough to, to allow it to trans to transform me to move me somewhere else. Yeah, we were gonna we were gonna ask how we can create transformation from the transitions and traumas in our lives. Is that is that kind of your advice in that way? Just to find usefulness and to not dwell too long in yeah. the trauma, but just enough to what to accept it or to understand it or to find beauty in it? What would you say? Yeah. When you find yourself on the, when you find yourself on the outside, um, it's because there's something calling you to the inside, you know? Hmm. Um, and outside, I mean that very big, you know, very broadly. So, you know, whether it's like, you know, you found yourself ousted from your community or, uh, your heart broken or just having a really tough time. Like it is always the push out is to, to pull in, um, and to, yeah, to find a way to, to mark those times and like uh, writing poetry or, or being an artist, I don't believe is to, the end is to make good art, quote, good art. <laughs> I think the end really is to make a mark and to, to make markings along the way, uh, to kind of, yeah, to, to, to symbolize the usefulness of everything, of every moment. Um, and so I think even if you're just making a mark 
on the page, you're making a mark um, through movement, you're, you know, I think that is, that's useful. Um, and that's usually the beginnings of a lot of unfolding. Like for me, for example, it was, you know, an entire book and, and in you know, a play and, you know, film and, um, but really kind of a, a, a new relationship with, with myself. Um, yeah, that has been mad useful, very useful. <laughs> well, what's one question that you think we could all ask ourselves a little more often? Mm. what that I wanted to really sit with this question yeah, go but, for it. um I was going to say something like just what does my soul need <laughs> but <then> immediately <laughs> that felt very <laughs> but but I think I'm trying to get something something out of like you know, what, what will I allow myself to, what will I give myself permission to do or to be, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that kind of does sit with like, what does my soul need? But I think more tangibly than that is like, what can I give myself today? Um, both tangibly and in terms of like emotional space. Um, I think, I think that's a first, a kind of a first step a first step to something. I don't know exactly what, but I think maybe to everything. Yeah. Or everything. (laughs) Yeah. That was fun. That was so fun. I'm really excited to talk after show stuff with you. Mm. Follow Alon on her Instagram at a underscore L a N moon M O O N and search out her beautiful book of poetry, moon work through our show notes or here on upbringing.co. Yeah, and as always, we'd love to hear your thoughts uh, on our conversation with Alon. So get in touch through DM, Mm. phone, email, website, carrier pigeon, all those good things. (laughs) Yeah. And lastly, you're doing an amazing job. We are so proud of you. And we're right here with you, taking steps to better understand ourselves, our kids, and one another. So thanks for being here. We're all growing up together. Till next time.